Well, good evening. How's everybody doing? It's good. It's always good news. All right. Well, usually you see Pastor Rob up here. He's uh, just got in from, he was down at the castle in Pennsylvania, so he's, uh, you know, kind of chilling tonight. So uh, thanks for your prayers. I'm sure he just had an awesome time down there, and uh, he's home safe and sound, so that's good news. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for our night tonight. And Lord, I just want to lift the the message to you, and Lord, I pray that um, you would anoint it, that you would speak to our hearts, and Lord, um, really, uh, Lord, just breathe new life into the church. Uh, Lord, we just need uh, more of you, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to overflowing, Lord. So we thank you for our time together, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just for a few verses, and this is something that... Um, we've been talking about in the senior group, but it's really, um, really something that the Lord just put on my heart and said, you know, because we spend a lot of time talking about it, and it's, and it's, in, it's really important stuff. Um, you know, God's righteousness is revealed in the transformed life and transformed living of the believer. That's important for us to understand. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says that, for you were once darkness, but now you are uh, light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know, God's called us to walk as children of light. So I can't, um, I can't tell how you guys are doing. I mean, that's something you have to figure out between you and the Lord. But I found some statistics that would um, indicate that the church isn't shining as, as well as it could or should. In a, a Barna survey from 2022 from um, the Research Center at Arizona Christian University um, said that barely half of pastors of evangelical churches, 51%, have a biblical view. Okay, so why is that important? Because evangelical churches, by definition, believe that the Bible is God's truth and reliable word to humanity. And it's particularly shocking to find that half of the evangelical pastors do not have beliefs and behaviors that are consistent with biblical beliefs and behaviors. Among evangelical pastors surveyed, 30% said that they do not believe that their salvation is based exclusively on confessing their sins through repentance and accepting Jesus as their Savior. So in other words, they believe that their salvation is based on works. It's 30%. Barna said 51 adults surveyed claimed to live according to a biblical worldview. However... When their beliefs and their behaviors are measured by what is called the seven cornerstones of a biblical worldview, only 6% of American adults actually have a biblical worldview. And so if you're wondering what those seven cornerstones of a biblical worldview um, is, here they are. 
God is the eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, and just creator. Humans are sinful by nature. Jesus Christ grants forgiveness of sin and eternal life when sinners repent and profess their faith in him alone. The Bible is true, reliable, and always relevant. Absolute moral truth exists. Obviously, we have the word of God. Success is defined as consistent obedience to God. Life's purpose is to know, love, and serve God with all one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the assertion here is that an individual with a biblical worldview looks at the world and sifts all information through the lens of God's word. You know, and as believers, that's what we should be doing. Everything should be held in, in light of, the, of God's word and interpreted. Family Research Center President Tony Perkins contends that the survey's findings reveal that the secular culture is influencing Christians more than Christians are influencing the culture. So how bad is it? And we'll, we'll get into the word right after this. This kind of threw me for a loop, but um, I guess at this point in our lives, nothing should surprise us. Parishioners in the UK, the United Kingdom, were shocked and appalled in November to hear a University of Cambridge student pontificate during his chapel message that Jesus Christ is transgender. So, you know... I, it's just amazing to, to just get a perspective of where, where things are at and where people are at and where the church is at. And, you know, tonight we're just going to kind of scratch the surface, surface with this whole thought of, you know, walking in the light. Because, you know, guys, that's, um, that's, what, that's what we be, need to be doing. I think the, the witness and the message of the church would be received um, in a greater way, if uh, people saw it lived out in our lives and saw the excitement about serving Christ in our lives. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're, we're going to um, just focus on three verses, but to just give you a little bit of context, um, chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, Paul talks about the rapture, um, the church in Thessalonica had a concern about those um, who had died and, you know, the Lord hadn't come back yet and they were kind of concerned, you know, were they disqualified when the rapture happened or not? So he explains all of that. And then he shifts gears in chapter 5 um, and he leads with that word but. And it indicates that he's, he's changing the topic a bit. So the expression here points to the idea that, that within a broader context of the end times coming of Jesus, that the subject is changing from a discussion of the blessing of the rapture of believers to the judgment of unbelievers. So in light of Paul's, in light of that, Paul is reminding them of what they, they knew or what they believe, okay? And in saying that, it's, he's going to talk about how that should affect their, their behavior, and uh, that's so true for us, right? Um, the word of God should be affecting us in such a way that it, it affects our behavior, the way we behave. 
right? We've been called out of darkness and into light. What we believe should affect how we behave. And, you know, that, that whole process is sanctification, right? I mean, we're, we're justified instantaneously before God when we get saved, but um, working out our salvation, that process of sanctification, um, going from darkness to light, sometimes that takes a while. But, you know, when we're saved, though, the, our mindset should totally start to change because God has called us into light and out of darkness. He's called us from the darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God. And that's what really the church should be, that's where we should be at in that process. Barna's survey indicates that the church is losing its ability to shine. So let's, get, let's read the first three verses. Well, let's read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. But as we, as we read through this, um, I want to just highlight the pronouns so you can see who he's actually talking to, and that's going to switch. So let's look at verses 1 through 7. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you, he's talking to the church, have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when, now it's when they, he's switching from the church to someone else, they that are going to be here um, after the rapture. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So now he, verse 4, he changes back to the church. But you, he's right now, he's talking to the church in Thessalonica, he's talking to us. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that they should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So he's going to combine, we're going to combine verses 4 and 5 as we break this down. But Paul is, is telling us, you know, us, the church, kind of interchangeable, that we're not in darkness, with regard to these things, these spiritual truths that he's talking about, in this case, the day of the Lord. But I'm going to take a little license and say, in light of spiritual things, that the church shouldn't be in darkness because we're called into the light. We should understand the things that are going on around us. Paul's telling the church that we're not in the same group who would be surprised by this event, this day of the Lord, and everything leading up to it, the times that we live in. You know, they live in a different realm than we live in. Okay, they live in a different, I, I like that word sphere. They live in, it's totally different. They live in a sphere or a realm of darkness. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I was, I was going to ask Ed when everything got quiet in here to just shut the lights off for a second. You know, darkness, it's, you know, your visibility, I mean, you just, you kind of get discombobulated in the dark, right? You just can't see clearly. It's, you're kind of uneasy. But 
our sphere, what God has called us to, um, the sphere of our life, is not in darkness. We've been called out of darkness. And, you know, this is going to sound like, uh, you know, this isn't very deep, but, you know, it's, it's important. You know, and, and these, you know, some of the things that I'm going to say in some of these scriptures are just, um, they, they're just so matter of fact. Um, you know, and that might be a problem, that might be maybe a problem or one of the problems why the church has lost its, its shine in a sense. Because we read stuff like this so often and we, you know, we just read it and think, oh yeah, we're called out of darkness into light. Yeah, okay, we know that. Well, this is something that we need to know really in the depths of our heart. That we don't live, in, and Paul is telling the church this. He's saying, hey, don't, you don't live in the darkness anymore. You live in the light. You've been conveyed out of the darkness and into the light, and he's going to encourage them to live that way. You know, that's got to mean something to us. And it's got to mean something to us because if you're trying to get the world to see that there is light, that there is hope, they have to see it in you. They have to see it in you. So for us, you know, we're, we're sons and daughters of the light. You know, and that transaction takes place, and it took place in these believers' lives when they were saved. And look at what this is, and we're going to just look at some scriptures and let the word speak for itself. But guys, remember Paul on the road to Damascus? He, he meets the Lord. Well, in Acts 26, 18, he's, he's recalling this to Agrippa as he's, you know, he's standing before Agrippa, um, not so much being tried anymore. It's just Agrippa was in town and wanted to hear what Paul had to say. And so this is, Paul is telling Agrippa what Jesus told him on that road. He said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. And why did he do that? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may forgive, they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, that's the gospel. You know, that's the gospel, to open people's eyes, right, in order to turn them from darkness to light. That's the gospel. That's what Paul preached, and that's the message that we have. That message of turning people from darkness to light. But you have to be the light to do that. You have to understand that. Jesus is um, sending us to do the same. That's the message we have. Jesus also talked about this contrast between light and darkness. In John three eighteen through 21, and he's responding, of course, in that chapter to Nicodemus. He said, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the holy begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light least his deeds should be exposed. 
But he who does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done by God. And you can see the contrast in that today, right? The darkness hates the light. Now, hopefully, us people in the light, we don't hate the darkness. I mean, we want to shine in the darkness, right? We want to share the gospel. But you can see the, the friction and the tension in the world today because of the darkness, that darkness hates the light. When you say that um, God created a male and a female in Genesis, that stirs people up. You know, it's, it doesn't, it, when you talk about abortion, there's so much, people hate the light. People hate the light. But it's awesome that God has called us out of that darkness. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, Paul tells us, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So, you know, we're called, you know, we're called to walk as children in the light. And really, we're called not to have any, you know, any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to expose them. And that doesn't mean that we hate them. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, that we're, you know, condescending or anything like that. You know, we're, we're called to love people, right? That's, you know, God loved us. While we were yet sinners, while we were in our worst possible state, God still loved us and sent somebody. Somebody said something to you about the Lord. Somebody witnessed to me and I got saved. I mean, that, that's the way it works. But you got to have that love of Christ in your heart. You know, and what Paul is saying, don't get caught up in, you know, don't, you know, fellowship. When we think of fellowship, we, you know, we hang out, right? You know, and Paul is saying, hey, don't hang out with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So that's our position has changed, right? Our position has changed from darkness to light. And with that said, we as believers are to change our walk to correspond with our position in Christ. It's that it should be a natural progression, right? In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Colossians 1, and I was going to just read verse 13, but you know what? I'm going to read Colossians. It's a prayer of Paul's. But let's start reading it from verse 9, Colossians 1, 9. So it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And Paul's prayer is, is so awesome. And he says, And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, 
in increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is saying that we've been delivered or conveyed, right? We've been liberated. We've been delivered from the dominion of darkness. That's something to get excited about. You know, and if you guys could think back of what life was like before you got saved, and then when you got saved, that, you know, that, that just that, it's almost like somebody just turned the light switch on, right? Where you felt so free, you felt liberated. I know I did. I felt, you know, for the, for the first time, when I got saved, the night I got saved, it was the first time in my whole life that I really felt I was accepted by God, that, that I could, that really, that I could have a relationship with the Lord. Everything totally changed. And, you know, so that's what happens. We're, we, we're delivered, we're conveyed, we're liberated. Um, it's so important for us to understand that. Um, like Jesus, Paul uses the common symbolism of light and darkness for good and evil, for God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom that is found throughout the New Testament. We've been called out of one kingdom and into another. That's, that's good stuff. You know, if you can't sleep at night, read, read those verses that just say how much God loves you and how you've been translated and delivered from that kingdom of darkness into light. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Are you guys getting the picture? I know I, I told you it wasn't going to be very deep. Makes a lot of sense, though. Called out of darkness to light. You, you know, guys, think of the responsibility or just the privilege that God has given you to be a, an ambassador in this world today. I mean... Sometimes we try to get away from it, but, you know, there's no getting away from it. There's no getting away from it. When you identify as a Christian, then you know what? You're, you know, you're, it's like the family, right? It's, you know, it doesn't make any difference. We all have a, a kind of different kind of an uncle or an aunt or whatever, but we're all one, one family, and, you know, that's how people see us. So I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm blessed to be in the family of God. So, well-informed Christians should not be surprised by the dawning of this day of the Lord. You know, we know that, um, that the, next prophetic, um, the next prophetic thing, the next prophetic fulfillment is going to be the, the rapture of the church. And then after that is going to be the tribulation. So we, we know that, and none of that should take us by surprise, and that was Paul was Paul's message to the church. 
you know, we don't need to be surprised by what's coming. And when we see the craziness, even that, that one quote I read about what was going on in, in the UK, that stuff shouldn't surprise us. That's darkness. That's the, the kingdom and the realm of Satan who came to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, it shouldn't surprise us. So Paul is now reinforcing this whole thought in this point in verse 5 that, that we as Christians live in a different sphere of life than non-Christians. And really, it's, it's as simple as day and night. It's, it's that obvious, day and night. And he says in verse 5, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. And then he says, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. And I like how Paul includes himself in the conversation. You know, he wasn't speaking at them, but to them. You know, he pretty much telling them, hey, we're in this together. You know, we're in this together. And that's the approach that I think believers should have. You know, and here's, I'll give you an example. When you're sharing the gospel, is it better to say you're a sinner and you're going to go to hell? Or is it better to say we're all sinners without Christ, without Christ, you know, we're all going to die and go to hell, right? When you include yourself in the mix, you're like, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of, it disarms people. But, you know, Paul, I mean, this is Paul's, you know, he's, he's been here and he was there for three weeks in Thessalonica before he had to leave. But, you know, he was, he was right there in the thick of it with him. You know, because no matter if it was the church in Thessalonica or Ephesus or Colossae, wherever it was, um, the battle is still the same, right? And, the, you know, we're still um, coming out of that darkness and living in the light. And, uh, you know, we all need instruction for that. You know, so Paul is including himself right with it. And so then he moves on um, to verse 6. So up to verse 6, Paul is talking about Things that they knew, that they were, they were you know, conveyed from darkness to light, that they should be living in the light. Now he's, now he's going to talk about behavior. The fact that Christ could come at any moment should motivate unbelievers to accept his forgiveness and motivate believers to live daily for him. You know, the obvious question would be, does, does that motivate you? The return of, you know, the return of Christ, does that motivate you? The rapture of the church? So I think you can look at this two ways. It could motivate us to say, Lord, I'm really getting tired of this place. Could you come quickly? Which we've all done that, right? You know, like, oh, Lord, come quickly. You know, like, this place is insane. Or we could say, Lord, come quickly, but while I'm here, I want to be motivated because I know what's going to happen when we're gone. And you've entrusted me with that message. And I want to be motivated to share that message. You know, so it should do both because we all want to go home and be with the Lord. But at the same time, we need to understand that um, there's a, there, we still have a, something to do. And I'm going to get to that. Verse 6 says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So Paul's encouragement was for his readers, that would be us as well, is to keep in step with the truth he shared and be prepared in light of the day of the Lord. You know, and he presented 
an exhortation as a logical conclusion to what he had just told them. You know, that there, we should be motivated. We should be excited about the Lord coming, but at the same time, there should be an excitement uh, shining as those lights for the Lord. So besides it being logical to behave in a certain way, it's also necessary, it's also a necessary duty. So I know I didn't, I didn't, when I first kind of read that, I didn't like that word duty. You know, like, what do you mean duty? I thought it's grace. You know, we do what we want. What do you mean? Duty implies that you have a responsibility, that you should be doing something, right? And that's what Paul is saying. Don't let us not sleep as others do. You know, and he's talking about both. He's talking about the unbelievers and, unfortunately, the, the believers that were in the church that were kind of kicking back. Part of the problem in the church in Thessalonica was they thought the Lord was coming at any minute, so they quit their job and they're just chilling and they're just hanging out, not doing anything, thinking that the Lord was coming back tomorrow. And, and that's, you know, that's not, that, that wasn't obviously not the case because we're still here, right? But there's a duty, right? And I know that, you know, we don't like to hear that. But, you know, heaven is not our only goal. You know, we're, we're saved, right? And, you know, it isn't like we're saved and, you know, now all we got to do is just wait to get to heaven. I mean, if that was the case, every time somebody gets saved and boom, the Lord would just take them. Oh, oh he got saved, take him up. Oh, Al's saved, take him up. You know, it's not that way. There's a, a responsibility that we have. There's um, work to do here. It's called ministry, evangelism. Right, getting plugged into the community, you know that's what the church is here for, right? The church in Penfield, um, we we're active in the community, or trying to be active in the community as much as they'll let us. But that's part of the, that's the, the other part of the goal. Sure, we all want to get to heaven, but until we do, there's plenty to do here on earth, and that's what Paul is telling the church. Hey, you're not, you're, not, you're not in darkness anymore. You've been translated and conveyed into the light, and there's a responsibility with that. And I really believe that's why we see some of the, the crazy statistics about the church. It's sad. So sleep in verse 6 means spiritual lethargy and insensitivity. Okay, and this is the condition, really, of the unsaved. But like I said, unfortunately, um, this condition is seen in the church. And the remedy for that is, well, I'm going to make it sound like it's simple. We know it's not. But it starts with each one of us. You know, just getting before the Lord and, okay, Lord, where, where, am, I, where am I lax? What should I be doing? And then just be faithful to do it. You know, it makes a lot of sense. If, if God has given us the ability to communicate with him, and we, um, that in that communication, we're asking him, Lord, what, where's the deficiency in my life? Um, he's going to let you know. But he's going to let you know for a purpose, right? He's going to let you know so you can make that change. You know, you can't pull the wool over his eyes. You can't just, you know, 
go there and say, oh, Lord, you know, show me my deficiencies and then walk away and blow them off. You know, there's, it just can't be lax with our relationship. And that's what I see with that word lethargy. It's almost like, you know, really just kind of slow motion, just no incite, you know, no excitement. So, um, you know, it starts with us. It starts with us individually. And that's how the church, you know, that's how the church gets strengthened. It just starts with, it starts with us. I, um, I apologize because I, I forgot where I got this little paragraph from, but this really kind of um, really speaks to what I'm saying. And it relates to let us not sleep. It says, because we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness, we are taken out of the night of sin and ignorance and put into the light of God. Because we are in the light, we should not sleep in spiritual indifference and comfort, but be alert to the spiritual issues around them, around us. We are not to live like the sleeping, darkened people who will be jolted out of their coma by the day of the Lord, but to live alert, balanced, godly lives under the control of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word. You know, that's pretty much in a nutshell what, you, what we should be up to as believers. You know, our mindset, our attitude, our heart. So before we take communion, I want to just read um, a few verses out of uh, Romans 13. And keep in mind, Paul wrote this seven years after he wrote Thessalonians. All right, so let's read verses 11 through 14, and I'll kind of comment as we go through them. So in verse 11, it says, And do this knowing the time, and that time is not chronological time, it's, it's a, a period of time. So he's saying, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, and that sleep is that spiritual apathy or lethargy, or that unresponsiveness to the things of God, that now it is high time to wake out of that, out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when, it first, when we first believed. You know, so Paul is encouraging the church, us, to live a life of spiritual alertness in moral purity. Um, the time is short, he's saying, hey, the dispensation of grace is coming to a close, right? So demanding all of the inactivity to be put away because our salvation is nearer than, than it's ever been. In verse 12, he says, the night, and that night of man's depravity and Satan's dominion is far spent. The day of Christ's return is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness Right, And the reason being is that in light of Jesus' imminent return, Paul exhorts believers to repent of and forsake their sins and let us put on the armor of light. And you can read Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor, armor of God. But just the encouragement to put on that armor of light. Verse 13 says, Let us walk properly, and by properly, by living a life pleasing to God, manifesting in our outward behavior the inner reality of a redeemed life. 
Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Right? So he's emphasizing um, the emphasis is on our practical Christian walk, that we're children of the day and we should walk in the light and walk, and walk in that light. Verse 14, Paul says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So the best policy that we can follow is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that we should adopt his whole lifestyle, life as he lived, accept him as our guide and example. In other words, put on the mind of Christ. And you can read through Colossians, Philippians. It talks about that in depth. But, you know, that calling, we're you know, called out of the darkness and into the light. And when we celebrate, I mean, all of this, everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross brings us to the ability to have communion and to understand that um, that everything that we needed, everything that we have as believers, I mean, all of it is because of the cross, right? Jesus going to the cross, dying for our sins, liberating us from... Um, the power of darkness, from the power of Satan to the power of God. And when I think of communion, and, and it, you know, I, I just didn't want to read the verses out of 1 Corinthians without making some comment along with them. And, I, you know, I, these things go through my mind occasionally, and I know sometimes I have to remind myself when I'm sitting there that what we're about to do is 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 a it is just so vital to have the right the right mindset and heart to understand what had to happen for us to take communion and what it was all and what it's all about and you know and 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 it's really interesting talking in light of what Jesus accomplished at the cross our salvation, our, our um, ability to be, um, to be able to come into the light, not to be eternally doomed to darkness with no hope. And because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross, you know, we have a hope. We have a hope. And, you know, today... And I'm sure for every generation since then, it's probably been the same. Things seem crazy to generation after generation and, you know, as things changed. But, you know, the hope has always been the same. Our hope has always been in Christ and what he accomplished at the cross. So I just want to read through um, 1 Corinthians um, 11, verses 23 through 26. And then Sarah will come up and um, lead us in a song. And, you know, you guys can come up and help yourselves to the elements. And then we'll do it together when um, Sarah's done. But let's just read through these verses. It says, For I received from the Lord that which 
I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And think about it. it, it's, it it's almost like it says which he was that same night in which he was betrayed. But when you think about it, while this was happening originally, he was being betrayed. You know, the reality of it is while they were doing the Last Supper, the plans were already in motion to arrest Jesus. You know, and it just kind of made it more personal to me that while while he's doing, while this is happening, while he's getting ready to, to have that, that time with the disciples that everything else was already going on. Um, to show the contrast, you know, Paul is, is, you know, saying that he received this from the Lord. It's revel Paul received the revelation from the Lord about communion. Okay, and I think that the reason why he states it's this, this way is because there was so much abuse of it. You know, Paul wanted them to understand um, that this this was a, a solemn ordinance of the Lord, something that was that was just a beautiful time with the Lord and his disciples. It wasn't like this crazy, you know, feast where you just come and stuff yourself. And, you know, it, they had totally were losing track of it. And Paul is kind of reeling them in. And he says that he took the bread in verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, you know, of course, you know, the elements, it's, this is just a symbol of the body of Christ. And um, I'm not, I don't remember where I read this, but this, just the thought that he was giving thanks as he held up the bread. And, you know, was he, the, the author was saying, you know, while he was giving thanks, was he actually giving thanks for God for giving him a body to, be, to have, to be broken for us? I mean, Keep in mind, Jesus stepped out of glory to be a human being. You know, and, you know, God gave him a body. And, you know, when you think about it, when you're, I mean, he always knew his mission. He always knew what the end result was going to be. And just to see his heart, just being thankful. Um, you know, he, he took the bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Sometimes that, that brings us to tears, right? When we realize what happened to his body. You know, beaten beyond recognition. You know, it just brutally beaten for us. You know, you could see why Paul wants... You know the the church in Coloss I mean in Corinth to to understand um, just the reality of of what the Lord's Supper was, what communion is all about. In verse twenty five, it says, "In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This too, this do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me.'" Remembering what he did on the cross, what it was all about. 
You know, and, and the new covenant was ratified by the blood of Christ. And that's why he speaks of the cup as being the new covenant in his blood. The foundation of the new covenant was laid through the cross. Through the cross. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this ordinance wasn't intended simply for the first century church. Um, it's abundantly, you know, it's, it's clear that we're to celebrate this until he comes. And I found this quote um, by uh, an old Swiss um, Protestant preacher who um, points out that the Lord's Supper is linked between his two comings. The remembrance of the one, the guarantee of the other. Because he said to do this until he comes. You know, so we're remembering when he came and what was accomplished. And at the same time, you know, we're remembering that, you know, there is that hope still yet in the future of his return. So, you know, we have a lot to be excited about and a lot to take to heart and to remember. And I'll just leave you with this last thought and then Sarah can, can lead us in worship. Jesus laid it all on the line for us. He gave up what we could never, we can't even imagine what he gave up. We know what he came into because we live in it. But he did that and then went to the cross to make it, to, you know, to, to give us, you know, the, 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 the veil of the temple was torn. I mean, he, he eliminated that, that, that separation between us and God. That is, um, man, it's awesome. It is, it is beyond comprehension sometimes. But that's what we're celebrating, what Jesus accomplished for us so that we don't, ever, you know, we don't have to be in the dark anymore. He's called us into the light. So let's, um, let's worship, and then we'll, we'll take communion after you guys grab the elements. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for our time together. And, and Lord, you truly are only worthy of all praise and honor, Lord. And we, uh, we thank you uh, continually for the cross and for what you did, taking, uh, taking on our sin, redeeming us, saving us, conveying us from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And God, I pray that um, that we would uh, ponder these things. Lord, I pray that we would um, allow you to um, just uh, take an inventory. Uh, Lord, show us those areas um, in our lives that we need to grow in. Lord, those areas um, that need a little bit more light shown into them. And Lord, we, um, we truly do, Lord, we truly do want to serve you with our whole hearts, God, and, you know, and I pray that um, you would just continue to, um, Lord, fill us, 
to overflowing with your spirit. You would continue to challenge us and to stretch us, Lord, that we wouldn't settle for just okay, but, Lord, that we would um, want to do the very best for you. You gave us your best, Lord. We want to give you our best, Lord. So do that work in us and through us, Lord. We pray for traveling mercies uh, for on the way home, that you would get us home safe. And, Lord, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for all that you're going to do, uh, Lord, in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless.